Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Love Hour Podcast. I am your host, Miss Kev on stage, and I am joined by my husband and co-host. The Kev on stage. And I am actually, I don't want to say excited because it doesn't actually sound appropriate, but there are episodes that I always, generally speaking, I always think about impact. And there are some episodes that the impact will be undeniable. And I believe this will be one of those episodes that will have um, an intense profound impact on people. And I also believe it's probably one of the most timely episodes I've ever done. You are beautiful. Thank you. I'm like looking at her like, bro, that's you, Kevin. And I'd be like, dang. Like I was looking at you talk. I was like, I should holler at her. And I was like, oh, I did holler at her. I, I achieved the goal of loving her. But like you be beautiful, but sometimes I've been reminded in that the moment. Really nice. I was like, man, you are a beautiful woman. And my butt was poking out of the top. And I was just like, man, that's God, bro. My butt is poking out of the top of my shirt. And I still got you. And we thank God for great. Because I didn't have to. Get, he didn't have to do it. But anyway, I know that ain't the topic of this episode. But I was genuinely, genuinely bam, bomb blasted by your beauty. I don't thank know what you. that word is. But I said it. <laughs> We're going to allow it. So we are joined today by Dr. Ajeta Robinson. Big professor energy. I am... So happy and honored, I think is probably the best word to have you on the episode, the podcast today with us. We are going to be discussing trauma, because if there is one word to sum up the year in our Lord Savior 2020, that word would be trauma. So um, before we kind of dive deep into it, I want to give Dr. Robinson the opportunity to, and listen, y'all know how I feel about titles, okay? I will give all the credit where the credit is due, and Dr. Robinson is a whole entire doctor. She is a professor, okay? You hear me? This is real. So I'm going to allow you the opportunity to introduce yourself and let us know who you are. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It it truly is my honor to be here with you all today. Um, I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor in Maryland. Um, I hail from St. Louis, Missouri. That's my hometown. Um, I specialize in grief and loss. I actually didn't have a choice. Um, I had a cumulative score on, on adverse childhood experiences. That is our premier trauma index of an eight out of nine. And so God called me to do this work. Um, I'm very thankful to lead a team of 22 mostly all black clinicians here in in Bethesda, Maryland, and we serve primarily um, clients who have cumulative trauma. Um, We specialize in life transitions, and so it really is about helping our clients figure out that regardless of where you start, um, it doesn't determine where you go. I am living proof of that. And so when I'm not seeing clients, I get to speak um, around grief and trauma, um, particularly around the cumulative losses and trauma experiences of urban African-American youth in their families. Um, and so I'm super excited to be here today. Yeah, what she just told y'all is put some respect on her name, okay? <laughs> I am so, so excited for this conversation. Like I said, I believe it will be one of the most timely conversations that I've ever had on this podcast, given the season that we're in in America. So what I first want to do is kind of break down 2020 into the three segments of trauma, grief, loss that we've experienced um, really as a collective. And I would say the first one would be the loss of Kobe Bryant. So Mm -hmm. Kobe uh, 
tragically died in a helicopter crash on January 26th. I will never forget that day because we were actually doing what we're doing right now, which is filming the podcast. And my son literally texted my husband in the middle of the podcast and it was like everything stopped. And I'll never forgive my son either. Yeah, like- I didn't need that in my life. (laughs) Everything stopped. And if I'm being honest, Um, with all of the celebrity loss that I've experienced in my life, and I'm 36, 36. So that's a lot of life to have experienced loss, especially celebrity loss. I've never felt so connected and impacted from a celebrity loss as I did with Kobe Bryant. And I'm not even like a basketball fan, a Lakers fan. Like, I'm not quite sure why it was so triggering I guess for me I guess maybe we can talk about like what is that experience of like collect this collective sense of loss especially for a stranger like most of the world we don't know Kobe Bryant Mm -hmm. so to experience this kind of collective sense of grief and grief and loss and pain like what is that yeah, it, so for many, when it was a physical loss, right? Someone, he physically died, right? Like his, there's a physical loss of life. Um, that's one component, but for many of us, it was this symbolic loss that we often don't talk about. We don't even know it kind of is ex- the intangible loss. Often they go on grief, they grow on un- um, think about celebrities and Kobe Bryant in particular is it's the loss of the relationship, right? Um, that symbolic loss, it loss of who he represented in our life, whether we are basketball fans or, or not, we got to see his evolution person. Um, he represented, I think, hope and a sense of magic and purpose that many of us hope to experience in our lifetime. He represented for many of us a dream fulfilled, right? He represented so many different things of overcoming and being. And we got to witness that, and I think in a very real way, throughout his career as an athlete, but also who he was as a human being. And many of us can relate to having our name and our legacy assassinated, even if it's just our work, right? Even if it's just in an environment where we don't feel honored. And so many of us could relate to who he was um, and even who he still calls us to be, right? Because there's a living legacy that many of us don't actually get to fulfill, but he did, right? And so it is that loss of relationship, the loss of what may have been, because he really was in his prime. Um, and I think many of us can actually agree, Can we can honor that, we can feel that. Think about what it took for you all to make a shift in your career and to decide to bet on yourselves, right? And become full-time entrepreneurs. Many of us never give ourselves the permission to fully walk in that calling if we ever realize it because society tells us to keep playing it safe. Well, Kobe did that on so many different levels and we got to witness it. We got to share in his successes and his triumphs and even in the spaces where we thought he might fail. Um, And that hits home for many of us because many of us don't get to live out our very real dreams. Um, And so we do it through other people. We do it through movie characters. We do it through, um, you know, the the story or the show Insecure. We We recognize ourselves in these people, right? The positive parts of us as well as the parts that we wish didn't exist. And so loss is really about connection. 
whether it is we know them in our personal life or not, or just we, or just the identifying parts of them, right? Those characteristics or that hope. Um, and so it doesn't have to be that physical, they were a part of your life or they were, you had a connection. You can remember where you were the first time you saw him play, probably, or the first time you had to listen to your husband right? rant about right? All of those things, those are memories that we store in our mind, in our body, and we have events that, that really surround them, right? We have rituals around, you know, watching March Madness and all these other things that, we, that surround our life, right? And so those are the things that we lose when someone like Kobe dies. Um, and those are the symbolic losses that many of us are feeling the compounded effect of right now because of everything that's happening in our society, in our world, um, that we rarely ever get to really name and that we really have space and time to actually grieve. Um, and so it makes perfect sense that we would grieve someone like that, our celebrities, our public figures, um, even the folks in our life that we didn't get to have a relationship with, we grieve that too. That was a lot. <laughs> it is. It is a lot. I was literally lot. like running it through is. my mind. Um, Kobe, Melissa, and I talked about it. Kobe was the first player that his whole career happened in our time, like Melissa and I's time. Yes. Like I was in yeah. middle school when he got drafted. I remember hating Kobe, the player, for like now sports hate. Like he was never on a team I, I like. I was in North Carolina at the time. He got he got drafted to the Hornets and then traded to the Lakers. So I was like, you should have been a Hornet. I would have loved you. And then, uh, but I literally watched the air balls and the fro and the three P with the Lakers and then Kobe and Shaq beef. And then, you know, Shaq went on to win another ring and he, and Shaq was rubbing it in his face. And then Kobe got number four, the first one without Shaq. And then he got number five. And then I was like, well, it's kind of dumb. Like Kobe's really amazing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and then he yeah. did their basketball and then he came to my office at all deaf, the old office. And I was a child. I was like, ah, Kobe's here. I love him. I'm sorry. It was sports hate, which is, yeah. I say things about you, but if I ever saw you in life, I admire, you know, it's not like, yes. it's not like I really don't like yes. you. And then it felt like the second act of his life, which was just beginning, right, yeah. was cut short. And the thing that I feel like even in this, I think I, I can connect to like George Floyd and literally every other black person that has died. The thing that made it worse, it was another violent death, right? Yeah. It's like another, yes. you know, it wasn't gun violence, but it was a violent, violent death. And then I remember my son texted me, Kobe died in a car, car or a helicopter crash. And then we just, me, listen, Josh, we're here. And we just immediately went to our phones. And then the news dropped that his daughter might have been in there. Mm -hmm. And then I was just like, his daughter is the same age as our oldest son. He was equivalent, doing the equivalent of Melissa and I taking one of our, our, our sons to either robotics or soccer. So there was the, the father angle, which was like yes. even worse than yes. the basketball angle. And then her mm -hmm. life was like, she could have been like, you know, the potential loss yes. overall. And then compounded with like all these other videos of black people dying and yes. Sandra Bland, like that video is a doggone archive. I can see that whole thing in Philando Castile and Walter Scott, like all that like in my mind. So it's kind of like a computer on overdrive. It's like emotional overdrive. And then I was just like, 
we, yeah. I just was a mess. I was just a mess. And that, that yes. isn't it's less than 20 minutes from where we lived at the time. You know, so Melissa had, had something yeah. and she drove by, she ended up driving by it like within a week or something. And I was tri I, uh, going to one of my son's soccer games and I needed to go out that way. And just seeing the mountains, I was, yeah. I mean, I'm welling up with emotion right Me now. Me too. I was like, it. I uh, felt the back of yeah. my tears like, hey guys, it's go time. And I'm yeah, like, it's, not today, it's, guys. It's a yeah. lot. I have, um, one of the things that you said uh, uh, when you were talking about the symbolic loss of what was, it kind of leads us yeah. into um, COVID. So that's another mm. loss of 2020. So all of us had these hopes and dreams associated with what would be the year 2020, the year of vision. And yes. I mean, I've literally done kind of like this plan, not this plan, but like outline of what 2020 was. So January 26th, he died. Um, February 24th was his memorial service. And by March 7th, we were in COVID. So it yes. was. Yes, that cumulative. Yeah. yeah. On top of trauma. Absolutely. So, I mean, a lot of people know my story with what happened with 2020 where we lost the house and I was supposed to do my very first conference in quite literally 30 days from tomorrow. Um, I'm supposed to host my conference and that's completely gone. And so we're dealing again with this, what was 2020 supposed to be? And we're not able to, um, we're not able to manifest those things. So can you talk to us about symbolic trauma? But before we do that, I just want to take a really quick break so we can all kind of catch our breath before we go into um, the symbolic trauma of 2020. Listen up, fellas, because today we have a new Manscaped product alert. Manscaped just released a new Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. Take a look in the mirror, and I guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean-shaven pubes. Manscaped forever changing the grooming game with their weed whacker. Listen, my dad, Ear Hair McGee. For Father's Day, I'm finna get this for him and be like, Pops, it's because I love you. You be having, you be needing to taper on your ear and your nose. Taper the, the nose and the ears. And then taper your balls, but not with this exact thing. <laughs> the premium Manscaped weed whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor power, 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. The intelligently contoured design enhances the trimming experience, and it's waterproof, which makes for easy operation and cleaning. Look, fellas, 79% of our partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. It is. It's time to upgrade your Manscaped routine with the Weed Whacker. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code LOVEHOUR. LOVEHOUR. At Manscaped.com. Thank you, Manscaped, for keeping our pubes trimmed and our hair in our holes looking nice. Once again, get 20% off with free shipping with the code LOVEHOUR. LOVEHOUR. At manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code LOVEHOUR. LOVEHOUR. What are you waiting for? Go whack your weeds. All right, Dr. Robinson, you can uh, lead us into um, the symbolic trauma that uh, that's happened and occurred in 2020. Absolutely. So we've all experienced a symbolic loss. I mean, outside of the physical loss, right, that, that we've just talked about with Kobe Bryant and the numerous others, right? Um, but COVID really um, stopped us in our tracks in the ways that we have not experienced in our lifetime, right? Um, and for many of us, the symbolic losses have been just the loss of our routine. For some of us, loss of physical safety. 
um, as someone that is in the healthcare field, I'm used to treating clients who aren't well, that aren't okay, even in a hospital setting, but usually I'm not worried about my own safety. So loss of the, um, just the ability to keep myself safe, right? Um, we are all experiencing that. Some of us have lost our income. Um, lost the dreams and plans that we had for ourselves um, during this time period. There's so many. Our kids that have lost the milestones that they were looking forward to, their senior year or their identities as athletes, as you know, people separate from their parents even. Um, all of those are symbolic losses. And then we have, um, on top of that, the emotional and psychological losses that just come with being, even before kind of the recent um, losses of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, um, we also had the psychological loss and emotional loss of being minorities in this country who were disproportionately impacted um, and dying at higher rates as a result of COVID, right? Yes. And so that's a, another loss of just loss of feeling safe within our healthcare systems, um, feeling safe in society in general, and the ways in which the intersections of our identities compound the traumatic experiences that we have. All of that has been coming to roost. What makes COVID in this situation unique, because we've always endured, right? We've always had these things that we just um, navigate as a part of our life. But the thing that, that COVID has brought to us is a pause that for some of us has been a way that we've been able to lean in um, and really discover who we are and have room to be creative. But for many of us, we have, it's paused our coping mechanisms. Most of us, um, particularly those people like me who are trauma survivors and trauma disruptors, we um, use hyperproductivity as a trauma response that's really effective, right? We're what you talking about, Doc? What you said, I done perked up. Yeah, because I don't on, get on these flights three or four times, and you That's just right. don't ever have to deal with stuff because you just you don't. ripping and running and moving. It's like, bro, you ain't. I can't rip and run and move like busy. I'm used to. You cannot. And so all of those things that we're able to push to our subconscious, your body's like, oh, you have a minute. Here you go. Right. It doesn't understand that we're quarantined or the things that we normally do to cope, such as our friends and, you know, happy hour or just barbecues or Alcohol. whatever. Alcohol. Yeah. Catch right. LA. Me and Lisa, we got stuff to talk about, man. Forget it. Let's go eat this Branzino and get That's a couple right. uh St. Germain's in our belly. Then we That's forget right. about everything else. You can distract yourself. Well, all of those things are COVID's like, nope, you're going, they're gonna show up. And so we're we're feeling it in our bodies. It's a, a full body experience. There's no domain that is unaffected. Um, which makes us more at risk for, you know, illnesses and other things, but it's like no other time. We've never had this amount of time, right? And trying to parent and work in the midst of the pandemic and all of that cumulative trauma, unresolved grief is showing right up at our doorstep. And so we're having to deal with those things, um, as well, right? And so all of these things kind of snowball if we don't find a way to actually deal with them, to face and confront them in a very different way. Man, because our we, resources um, aren't available. I was in therapy prior to this uh, for one thing, like, you know, I got to deal with my stuff, my real dad, you know. <laughs> man, COVID stuff happened. I was like, man, I, I need to talk to you. We might have to go to bi-weekly. I need to talk to you on Monday <laughs> and Friday. I can't be waiting yeah. all the way to Friday every week. I got to yes. talk to you now. Girl, did you see what happened to George Floyd? And this and the yes. houses, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, yes. it was like, 
it was like a dog on seven layer cake of trauma. It was like you got the years of stuff, bottom layer. Then you got yes. Kobe. Then you got COVID. Yeah. Then you got George Floyd. Then you got the house. And the, but none of the other stuff is going away. It's right. just building. It's I got a skyscraper of grief in my life. This yes. thing is built into the foundation and it's higher than the Sears Tower. Yes. Yeah, and those are our personal ones and the ones that we experience collectively as a society. We haven't even talked about the race-based trauma that creates an additional layer of grief. We could be here all day talking about that, but it's showing right up. It's the thing that, again, we're feeling the activation in our body, right? And so um, I hear folks talking about their, you know, I know they're up. I know they're dysregulated because they're on Facebook with me at three o'clock in the morning. Right? Mm -hmm. And I know it's, you know, it's four o'clock for them or, or whatever time it is um, because our body is, our body keeps the score. That's a, um, it's a book one, but it's, it's a, it's a real thing. It's a physiological response to trauma. And so oftentimes well before it enters conscious thought, your body's aware of it. And so you feel it in your joints, your GI. So you have stomach issues, you have headaches, you name it. The body is keeping track of those things. And if we don't do something with it, it just get mapped. Right. And it, it activates our fight or flight response. Your body doesn't know that physically you are safe because psychologically and emotionally you're in turmoil and so the body's going to have and activate the same autonomic nervous system right increase your cortisol or stress hormone and your body is at an acute activated state of fear of stress of discomfort you name it because it doesn't know that the trigger isn't something physical that's physically threatening you, that it's psychological, emotional, and mental, the body's response is the same. And so we really have to take um, those symbolic losses and these um, collective traumas that we're experiencing as seriously as we would a diagnosis like cancer or, or even COVID, right, that we know can be, has a higher fatality rate for our community. Um, and so those are all things that are showing up that we can't work our way out of, right? We can't just work and overwork ourselves through because all of those things are also happening in our house, right? And so one of the other things that COVID is doing is that it's not creating a separation. There's no boundary. Um, the trauma or the exposures that you have out in your, your work, right? You generally would have at least that commute home to at least process right. and create some boundaries. Well, right now, all of that's happening in your home. And so there's right. no escape from that. Um, and so we really have to be careful about creating boundaries and self-care for ourselves because otherwise we're just sitting in it and it's making us numb um, and it's making us reactive. And so we really have to unpack the things that we've been carrying with us, some of which we actually no longer need, right? They you no know longer serve us. You know what's crazy too? We, I, I was, Melissa and I talked about this a couple of times on the, on the Love Heart. I had to exhale. <laughs> <laughs> Even yeah. like, um, I think we just talked about it recently. Oh, it was Angel's podcast we didn't realize how many little moments we had to ourselves to do with what we wanted, right? Yes. Melissa was able to get her hair done. She's able to get her nails yes. done, her feet done. Um, even taking my son to soccer practice uh, ends up being about a, you know, whoever takes him ends up being about an hour and a half to just, <laughs> you know, be alone, right? And yeah. I had, I had stand-up comedy. So on the weekends, you know, before shows, I'm pretty much hanging out in my room, you know, watching the office and because i'm not home melissa essentially is able to do the same thing right but now um for the first time in our marriage we're all in the house together and we feel like we should yes. capitalize on this and let's play a game let's do this and do that and then you realize you feel like you know we you're not able to uh 
get some time alone, but you feel guilty for saying that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, uh, Melissa, you know, she's watching whatever she's watching. Like she has different, um, she has different um, wind down TV, right? She likes to watch, um, you know, marriage reality shows at this point in life. And I like to watch The Office a million times over. I love it. I know the jokes. They're still funny. I still laugh out loud. But now I, like, I don't want to go in my office and watch that because I feel like I'm home. I should spend time with Melissa. But like, yeah. I've been home for three months. You know what I mean? So, um, and she, you know, she might not want to watch what I want to watch. You know, the kids just yeah. sit in the room. And on top of that, doctor, <laughs> we moved into a new house and it's the first time our kids are not sharing a room. So they're enjoying the like, go in my room, close my door thing, which is a new mm -hmm. thing. And it's like, why y'all ain't here with the door closed? C yeah. Talk to us. And they're like, no, I want to watch videos. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I feel like it's, uh, it's so many changes at once. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and you can't like, you can't do one at one time. It's like, you got to deal with right. you know videos and COVID and the loss of this and marital shifts, you know, because, you know, societal shifts, like we never been with our kids this much since yes. they were babies. Like they always go to school or go to their friend's house or do something. And now none of that, I guess I, I, I this is a long way to say, nothing is like it used to be. Mm -hmm. That's right. And you don't even know where That's to right. start with what to deal with because you don't recognize anything. Mm -hmm. And that is some of the collective grief that we're experiencing is that not only do things not look the way that they did, right? We don't have any sense of what normal looks like, we also don't know what's happening next. And that is the thing that creates a sense of anticipatory grief because we don't know what's coming next. Anticipatory grief. Right, and it's also ambiguous grief. We normally usually are not experiencing both at the same time. So this is another compounded grief situation that we're experiencing that we've actually not seen before um, in our lifetime. We've, you know, we've read about it. There's some studies that predate us, but this is some real life data collection. So for a nerd like me, that's, it's interesting, um, but it also, um, can create really difficult situations where um, we get into traumatic grief and frozen grief where people aren't able to metabolize their grief or, or honor or memorialize the different losses because there's so many that are happening at the same time. And so um, one of the things that I, I try and help people do is to establish a rhythm, not a routine, but a rhythm. A rhythm means that you listen to what your body is telling you, your internal clock, right? And to, you, you can teach your kids to do this as well. This gives you room to create a new rhythm each day and sometimes in each new moment. And so I think that gives us a little bit of freedom because we don't have to plan out the day or plan out the week. We can take it as it comes. And, and for many of us, that can give us a sense of control, right? Because wherever you go, you have your body, you have yourself. And if you can find how to kind of turn back inward and really listen to what your body needs, whether that's a nap or that's your time watch in your office to watch the office or your wind down time. You can give yourself grace and say, hey, I can love you and want to be with you, but also need to refill my cup so that I can come back and re-engage. And if we do that, it gives us more room to do the things that we feel like we should do. Um, but we really gotta remove the sense of guilt, right? I always joke that one, my therapy skills don't work on my kids. They're immune. Um, but also, too, I am such, I think I'm a great mom. Let's just say that. But I am so much better when they go somewhere else eight hours a day, right? And so that's <laughs> one thing that I've had to reckon with myself. And so I think by saying that, right, as someone who has specialization in early childhood 
education and whatever to be able to say that to normalize it for other people like listen this actually is not what i signed up for and that's okay. <laughs> I, I thought y'all were supposed to be going to school I was just not. waiting till y'all turned five. I didn't. That's I didn't right. sign up to be the teacher. I didn't be the teacher. Right. Someone else was to deal with. I'll yeah. pick y'all up. I'm supposed to drop y'all off and pick y'all up. Absolutely. <laughs> my 13 year old says, "Well, mom, aren't you like you have a doctorate? You teach for a living." I was like, "Listen, my kids, my students' prefrontal cortex is fully developed. I prefer doctoral <laughs> students. It's a different level of conversation. They are rational beings, and then they go somewhere else. None of this is what I signed up for. But like, I make, I make life." of that right? right i think to normalize it for um the other pairs that i'm like listen i don't have it all together and i have some advanced skills and supposed to have this together right um but we are we are still parenting and we're still homeschooling in the midst of a pandemic this was not voluntary homeschooling like oh, bro right? i thought about homeschooling i was like man no i don't want to yeah. do that i don't no. care yes. if you turn it in or not personally the only reason i'm <laughs> on you is because the teacher emailed <laughs> Yes, I have kept another kid alive. That is my goal for the day. Like, that's what I have to offer. Um, and so we really have to give ourselves grace and compassion. I want to go back to something you said, Dr. Robert. Yeah. And before we do, let's take a quick break. All right. We've taken another break because we all need to inhale, exhale, because Dr. Robinson is dropping a lot of good information and gems on us. And sometimes when you exhale, you need to do it with a good glass of wine. And so I want to tell you about Pen Rose. This is not our first time telling you about them because when you're at home, listen, imagine you're at home finishing a glass of wine and just as you're about to pour another, it happens. The realization, the realization you're all out of wine and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, thanks to First Leaf, you can get personalized boxes of wine shipped right to your door right now in the midst of COVID-19 we don't want to go out unnecessarily we don't want to take errands unnecessarily so anything that can be delivered to your home is not only convenient but in today's world it is also safe and with everything going on you also need a good bottle of wine because oh, that's I'm yeah. sure that's good for your mental health oh, okay yeah. right now what you're going to do is take a quick quiz to assess your wine drinking preferences whether you like sweet wines robust wines Joshua likes a cab. Actually, Joshua is the person that got me on cabs, if we're being honest. Mm -hmm. But the only way you're able to do this is to take the assessment, figure out what you like, and then a first leaf expert will pick six bottles of wine, ship them to you based on your answers. First leaf uses your ratings and feedback to refine your future shipments. So you're getting bottles that you like, you enjoy, and that you will drink down to the very last sip. First leaf has 100% perfect satisfaction guarantee so if you receive a bottle you're you aren't into first leaf will cover the cost sounds like a pretty good deal mm -hmm. sign up today to get six bottles of wine for only 29.95 plus free shipping just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash love love that's six bottles of wine for only 29.95 at tryfirstleaf.com slash love love Okay, we're back. So Melissa and I, this Sunday, right, and this was not planned, we get up, right? More restaurants have opened in LA. So I go on Postmates. I'm like, I'm not cooking breakfast. Well, I never do, but I'm not even pouring cereal in. And we found this place that had good chicken and waffles, right? 
So I order, you know how I do, Dr. Robinson. I'm like, let me buy a couple of things just in case I don't like one of the things. I don't want to be hungry. When I tell you this thing was hitting, right? So we eating chicken and waffles. These waffles are lit. So then Melissa's like, what you finna do? I was like, mm, nothing. So we sit down, turn on Netflix, watch a whole bunch of stuff, fall asleep, order Postmates again. We built a, a, a entertainment console. Our son came and helped us. We didn't even vlog it. He in his drawers, I'm in my drawers. <laughs> Melissa's the only one with clothes on. And then we watched the movie. I mean, we would, it, was a, it was amazing, right? And yeah. even that, I, I love that you said remove the guilt because for whatever reason, like I was talking to my friend, uh, Tobe, and he's like, three days a week, I fast 24 hours and I drink juice only. And I was like, well, I had chicken and waffles for breakfast and lunch. <laughs> and then yesterday, Melissa made red beans and rice and I ate it. I ate it so much. I ate it at 12. I ate it at 2. <laughs> I ate it at six and then I'm supposed to be fasting from 11 to seven. But at eight, I had, I had half a pint of ice cream and me and Melissa was watching a documentary. <laughs> and then we paused the documentary and went and played Mario, our son. And then we came back and watched the documentary. Like, and I feel like, I feel so guilty. Like for like, I'm supposed to be at the gym. The gym is closed. Yeah. So I can't even do that thing. You know, yes. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be doing all these things, but some days it just feels like, bro, I just need to be able to make this, make it through this day. However I possibly can. And I feel that more than I've ever felt it in the past. And it's like, um, lovey said this, she said, her therapist said, you know, lovey's said, I feel like I need to sink or swim. And she said, what if you just float? And yes. I try to float, but I always feel guilty for floating. Mm. Yeah. So when you we've said been conditioned, tell yeah, me, tell we've me been more. conditioned around productivity. We've been conditioned that we don't have value if we're not working. We've been conditioned mm. if we're that we haven't done enough if we're not constantly producing. Right. It's the reason that most of us have more than one job. Right. We're doing all of the things. But there's another thing for those of us who are I like to call myself a poverty disruptor. So my kids will not struggle the way that my family did when I was growing up. And we were pretty OK. But still. Right. We had enough. Barely. Um, we work really hard to not have to be in that position again. But there's a, a little bit of a fear unconsciously that if we don't continue to produce at the same rate that we, we did, when we're in survival, we actually never give ourselves to thrive, right? Or to recognize that we have made it to a very different place where that same survival work ethic is actually no longer required. But we- Dr. We Robinson, you can't on. drop this many gym sentence after <laughs> sentence. Now I can't process it. It's a lot. It's too, not, give me a second, doc. You're moving the- Sorry, sorry. Go back and just run that back a little slower, yeah. right? Because you are talking to me, Kevin, I, and Melissa <laughs> yes, too. Me too. We both were came from poverty yeah. and Joshi Gons. We yeah. work like we, it was so funny. Melissa and I were just talking about this yesterday about mm -hmm. how we feel guilty for success and we work like we haven't achieved anything. anything. I mean, yeah. it's literally, we joke about Melissa always says we have $11. You know how much, much work we do, how many successful things we yeah. have. We work like we are going to go back and be on them poor army bases eating free lunch, free or reduced lunch again. And that is so far from the truth, but it, does, yeah. it never feels like that. It doesn't feel it like it. It feels like it's always around the corner. Yeah. That is the hyper productivity. I'm going to tell you, for us, what's worse is our big income generators were gone. So that's almost like a confirmation of, see, this is, look, look what could happen. You Now you got to go even harder on YouTube because mm -hmm. touring and live events can go away. And I'm like, I, I'm never going to be able to. And now we can't even take vacation. <laughs> I can't get yeah. a massage. 
He be texting me, see you soon. You're lying. <laughs> you can't see me soon. I've had this right here for three months. <laughs> Melissa yeah. can't do it. She has arthritis. <laughs> <laughs> for some of us, this is the thing that we have to grieve and we have to let go because it actually doesn't work for us anymore. It worked for us when we were in survival mode and we needed it but we've likely reached a place where we're not in survival mode anymore. We've done the things to stabilize your family and to stabilize your income and to, you know, to do those things, but we haven't changed the way that we work. We haven't changed the way that we're still, we're still operating because um, I don't know about you all, but I grew up knowing how to pay bills. I didn't grow up knowing how to generate wealth, which is a very different mindset. There was no one before me that had done it. And so there's a cost that we incur by being the first to do it. And we have to grieve the unknown parts of ourselves, right? And for many of us, that's where we're sitting right now. And I we just, feel guilty. Dr. Robinson, <laughs> stop, stop. I, I can't even, I can't do it. I can't keep up with all these personal attacks. I can't. I'm realizing this stuff in real time. I'm like, it, we are the first. And our parents felt like the first two because in some yes. ways they were the first. They like were. our parents just going to the military was a first step out of poverty. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. They sent us to college or allowed us or supported us, right? And now we are, we can pay for college. We, Melissa and I, I remember being so freaking jealous of these kids at UW. They had everything they needed in college the brand spanking new computer. Melissa's computer was full of small men who was like, all right, God, flop, dude, literally floppy disk in. This thing was sloppy, it was loud. I didn't even that's have a computer. I, I, was about to say. That's what I had to go computer. to the library, the library to do it. My son yeah. has a laptop on the floor. My, yeah. oh, my other son had a TV in his room he didn't use for months. Like, they're not gonna suffer. And even if they didn't go to college, they could work for us. Yeah. They could work at Best Buy. We could, like, our parents used to put us out because they had only signed a contract to, to provide for 18 years. Like, bro, I'm never going to be able to save if I have to do that. So now yeah. there's such a guilt. But now I'm realizing it's the guilt of the unknown. What do I do? Stocks, mm -hmm. bonds, buy a house, the market. Like, bro, I don't know. Uh, yeah. And I didn't know this before COVID-19. Yeah. It's too much. My neck hurts. I know. I want ice cream. Ice cream? I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> I have consumed so much guilt ice cream, but I'm not going to feel guilty. I've get, Dr. <laughs> Robinson said, this is fine, Kev. This is fine. Eat the ice cream you want. I did not. He <laughs> <laughs> said, I did not say that. <laughs> said, I wouldn't judge you. <laughs> That's all I need. Listen. The ice cream's gonna get eaten regardless <laughs> of what you said or what you judge. It's getting eaten. Oh my gosh. <sighs> but you bring up an important point that we all cope in different ways. And sometimes we feel guilty about those coping, right? About not, you know, whatever that veg time is, about not doing when there's so much purpose and meaning in just finding ways to be. And I think that's what's happening for many of us is that we have not, we've not been with ourselves in such a long time that COVID's mm -hmm. forcing us to do that. And it's uncomfortable. It's heavy. It is 
causing us to confront things that we've been able to push away by being busy and by doing. Um, and that is the work. That's the work. And again, that's our own, our own personal stuff. We haven't even grappled with the stuff that we bring forced to deal with because of what's happening in our country. Right. Um, and so those, can you imagine how all of that just compounds our, you only have the, the, the same resources, whether you're dealing with personal stuff or societal stuff, right. Or collective stuff, you have the same resources, um, the same amount of time and energy to do that work. And so it's that much more important that you have time to play Mario with your with your kids because it's what refills your cup to do some of this more collective grief and loss stuff that we also don't have a choice around either. It's in your face. We're inundated with it, right? Um, and so I think it's important that we give ourselves permission um, to be, to be more often on purpose, not because we're sick and shut in, um, but because it's what we need and to not evaluate whether or not it was purposeful, it is productive in that it's necessary, right? It's necessary for you. Dr. Robinson, this has been so good and we're not done. I, I'm done. I'm done with this. <laughs> I, I just, I'm telling you, it's, I feel so much better. This is why I love this podcast as a part of it, but as a listener of mm. it, there's so much freedom and relief from at least understanding what you've been thinking. And yeah. you are helping me understand what I've been thinking, why I feel bad about stuff, why I feel guilty, why I feel like right now, I'm like, I have not put up a video today, a good side-by-side -side new video. All I did is repurpose something from my stories while I'm making the second podcast of the day in between the time for the third podcast there's no rush to do that, but I will not let my mind rest until I've done that. And there's really no reason. And I know that I've talked about this with my therapist <laughs> and I listen to her, but then I'd be like, but nah, though, you know what I mean? Because I feel like, uh, productivity is what keeps me sane in some way. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like it's what I do that even if this video doesn't generate enough income to do whatever, I feel like I have done something so mm. then I can rest. Me and Tahir talked about this. Mm. Tahir said he has a hard time relaxing because he feels like I, he hasn't worked enough to earn an, mm. a break. Mm. So he can't relax until he's done this amount of work per day. And that's mm -hmm. how I feel a lot of times. Like I've got to do this and a video has to do well. Not only get it up, it's got to do well. And, you know, for last week, I, I was like, bro, I can't be funny. It's just too much. But then I feel guilty because I, like nobody has anything funny to laugh at. Yeah. And they're looking yeah. at me and I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm sad too. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. I guess I will say there's so much layers. What in your estimation, what is a step one? I was gonna ask that too. I would be interested as you were talking, I was wondering, um, and I am a therapist, I am not your therapist. I, I have to say that, right? <laughs> I literally <laughs> have to say that. Um, I was wondering where you learned that. What? That if you that you have to do these things before you can rest. I'ma tell you. I, I'ma tell you. This is what I told my therapist. This is where I learned it. When I was young, right? When I was 15, 16, I asked my parents for extra stuff. Jordans, Fubu, Sega thing, Genesis. Sega Genesis, all this. They never could get it, right? My dad said, if you want that extra stuff, you're gonna have to go and get it yourself. Like I'm providing the necessities for you. House, mm -hmm. food clothes, shelter, and peace. On top of that, we give you guys a house that's peaceful. We don't argue. 
But if you want Jordans, bro, like, and he wasn't tripping. Like, I understood. Went out and got a job at Burger King. And from that moment on, I was like, anything I want to get, I got to get it myself. And then when I built Kev on stage and all this, this is all me reinforcing anything I want. I got to get it by myself, get it by myself, get it by myself. So when I have people to help me, I don't want to do, I don't want to allow them to help me because in my mind, I've got to get it by myself. I've always had to get it by myself. Even though it's been proven for years, I don't have to get it by myself anymore. But that was such a core driving factor. It's almost mo. And then the worst part is I found success like that. Mm -hmm. I built these YouTube channels and this stand-up comedy without asking for help. I didn't ask people. I watched, I learned, I researched. And now in order to grow, I have to ask for help. And I can't, it's like impossible because all the way back to, let me tell you what in therapy, it always boils back to what happened <laughs> when you was a kid yeah. and things you didn't realize, doggone, set your mind in motion and set your personality. And that was a core programming thing for me that I cannot, undo. or I, I'm not, I cannot undo. Yeah. I'm working to now undo. That was good and it is, it is, but it is like literally impossible. When my wife yeah. says, would you like help with that? what I hear is if you say, yes, you're not a man, you should not need your wife's help. You should be able to do it by yourself. Don't, or don't put that on her. Let her do what she got to do. Or you can do this without like only ask for help. If you are drowning, right? That's how I'm, 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 I'm wired. And now when I ask her for help, she helps me. And then I feel like, it could be done by now. I would have did it fast. I would have did it. I would have done right. I would you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and the thing is, she's just as fast as me or faster or has better ideas in my mind though. I've have so many warped thoughts that, that I have to do. And before I hear your answer, let's take a quick break. And finally, we want to tell you today about ShipStation. You guys know that we are a company that sells merch. In fact, you are getting a sneak peek at one of my new items from my launch of MKOS Child. She is coming through here soon, and I will be selling this shirt um, here soon, and I will be doing it on ShipStation. What we love about ShipStation is that they are fully integratable Mm -hmm. with platforms such as Amazon, Etsy, your own website, FedEx, UPS, USPS, Amazon Fulfillment, all of the things, they bring them all in on one interface so you're not going to 50 million different ones. Mm -hmm. It makes it very easy, very simple, plus it's cost effective. Right now, in the midst of this pandemic, you're sitting on an idea that you've wanted to launch forever and ever and ever. Now is a great time to go out and make and manifest those dreams while you can in 2020. Why not? So right now, the Love Hour listeners can try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use our offer code LOVE. Love. Make sure your business is ready to meet the demands of delivery culture. Get started at ShipStation.com. You're going to click the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type LOVE. Love. That's ShipStation.com. Then enter offer code LOVE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Um, so like I uh, was saying, uh, what's the first step? I think um, acknowledging that that's a thing for you. So one of the first steps for any of us, if we're unpacking grief or trauma, is to name the thing. Name the thing that we know we need to either unlearn or relearn. Um, some of some of it is is to relearn how to be compassionate to ourselves. Some of us is to unlearn this notion that we have to do it by ourselves. Um, 
And I always ask, like, is that actually a part of who you are or is that who you learned you had to be? And if it's who you learned you had to be, does it still work for you? Because I'm hearing that it may not, right? And so we may decide that it worked for you at, for this part of your journey, but you know, God sent you a helpmate, right? And so perhaps he's given you everything that you need so that you don't actually have to do it by yourself. I don't, um, and so I, I I must, I'm gonna hold that. you right, Chief. I, I didn't sign up for all this. I, I listen. You invited her in, I you wanna push her out. I, listen. <laughs> You know what? I'm a little tired for today. If you could just go, I don't need this sort of inter help because you're talking too good and it's too much. Mm-hmm. And, and doing your self work is even more exhausting than anything. You it know how is. hard it is to it unlearn is. something you've been doing for at this point, 20 years. I've been doing yep. this for 20 years and now I have to change. Like it's almost second nature, Dr. Yeah. Robinson. Mm-hmm. I know it is. If it doesn't work for us, we get to pivot. We don't have to throw away everything, but we just want to tweak the things that don't actually work, right? That don't work for us anymore. We can still honor that they work for us for a very long time, but to be able to lean fully into what you're being called to do, there's some things we can't take on that leg of the journey with us. They actually hold us back, right? And so it's an invitation to look at the way that you are functioning or that you have been functioning and decide is that the way I want to continue? If not, what do I want to do differently? And that is work, right? I think the beautiful thing is that we usually don't have to do that work alone, right? Mm. I think that's the piece around, you know, this collective grief and trauma is that there's collective peace implies community. Um, and mm. so we're the folks in your community that love you, that you trust, that see you, right? That um, hear you when you're quiet, those are the folks that will go on this journey with you. They'll companion with you. Um, and so they'll also hold you accountable to who, you, who you're communicating you want to be um, in your own life. You know what's crazy? I, I know I'm talking a lot No, today. it's okay. What I realize in life, there's so many things that you think are supposed to be this way forever, and they mm-hmm. are not, nor were they mm-hmm. ever meant to be. Friendships, relationships, approaches, jobs, addresses, points of view, they, they were for a time and they're not for, you know, the Bible says to everything, there is a season Mm -hmm. and a time under the sun, right? What you have to, it's hard to acknowledge that, Hey man, like, even if you grow up, like your parents had to work a lot, so you got to take care of your brothers and sisters. Right. And Mm -hmm. you become this like, you know, caretaker. And then your, your, your brothers and sisters work. Oh my God. It just clicked. Tell us what I'm struggling with my children is the change in role. Yeah. It's the, when they are little, they can do nothing without you. And they admire you. Yeah. They want to spend so much time sure. with you. As they grow, if you're raising them right, you are raising them to be independent. independent. Free thinkers not wanting to do everything. But then when they actually do it, you're like, oh, so you don't want me? You don't want to watch <laughs> movies, they say? You don't want to do nothing with me? You don't want to do... And then, you're, and then eventually they grow up and leave and you're mourning that relationship when they were dependent on you. Mm-hmm. And, and now you're not used to doing it, but your children aren't even designed to be raised by you forever. Sure. You're designed to raise them for a season, but each of those, even raising them for a season is different from yeah. infant to toddler to elementary school, middle school, high school. Like, and I'm realizing with my kids, cause I'm like, this kid, this kid is voices changing. He don't want to hang no more. 
And he's not like angry or nothing. He's just like, bro, I don't want to do nothing with y'all. <laughs> and I went through that with my parents. Like, I just want to hang out with my yeah. friends or be in my room. And I'm mourning. And that's really what 2020 is in so many ways. Mourning the loss of what I thought it was going to be or that's, what it yes, could have been. 2020. Right. Yes. And, and on top yeah. of that, not knowing what it's going to be. The thing about winter, it sucks because it's cold. Like if you live in Chicago, but you know that it's going to last for a time and then it's going to be spring. Yeah, right. But this climate, we don't know how long it's going to last and we don't know when spring is coming. Right. So yeah. this is just a dab on Game of Thrones winter is coming and we don't even know how long it's going to be. And each That's month has right. been progressively worse than the month prior. Yeah. And that is at the very root of trauma. Trauma is at the, it's a very basic level, a loss of safety. And there's safety in things that are predictable when we know what to expect, that loss of control. Um, also, the thing that, that kind of, um, that helps us, even when we're facing things that are traumatic or uncomfortable, is usually there's an end in sight. Um, and that, I think, is what compounds this is because we don't know what's going to happen next and we right. don't know when it's going to be over. And so most of us, when we know we're enduring something, like when we're working and we have to work two jobs and, you know, have the kids and all of that, we know that the semester break is coming or the end of right. the semester is coming so right. we can rally all of our resources, right, um, to navigate the next four weeks because we know that's what we have to do and then we get a break. Well, this thing, we have no idea. And so we are just staying in a, a prolonged, activated state with no end in sight. And so your body's like, all right, we're just going to gear up, right? We're just going to gear up. You know what we don't sucks, know. Dr. Robinson? We were terrified of COVID for two months. And then racism was, racism was like, ah, oh, y'all forgot about me, huh? We finna remind you yeah. about this. So we had a protest during a pandemic, but nothing about the yeah. pandemic really changed. But it was like, okay, yeah. pandemic is an existential threat. Racism feels like an even more direct threat right now yes. than the pandemic. And even if not for me, for other people, but it didn't go away. Right. The statistics actually spike yeah. and stuff, but it just faded from the news cycle because we were like, bro, we, can't, we have to go out and say something about George Floyd and Breonna mm -hmm. Taylor and all these other people. And that's what I feel like it is to be black. Yeah. Like white people, y'all can just worry about the pandemic. You know, yeah. like I saw this video today and it's been playing in my head. It's white redneck dude. I was telling us about it. He was like, y'all want to defund the police? Well, guess what? You got a whole bunch of rednecks and we got real guns and real bullets and defund the police for a month and we'll show y'all. And I was like, bro, you, you're supposed to be scaring me. <laughs> I, this was, it was just two people that wanted to kill me before. We defund the police. Now it's just one. Like, you don't think I feel like that could have happened already with the police? The thing yeah. is, you can call the police. They'll help you. They'll also hurt me. Right. There's a yeah. black bar owner in somewhere in the South. Somebody robbed him. He called the police. They punched him. Right. Like, mm -hmm. the, sir, the suspect. I'm not, I want to feel protected too. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, and I don't even know how I feel about defunding police, but I know how I feel about calling them. Right. I know I don't feel comfortable calling them. Yeah, I think we also, I mean, that's a whole nother topic around, I think when we hear defund the police, we we hear dismantle, which is not the same thing, right. right? And so right now, the way that we utilize the police, really, like, so if you get a phone call and, and your loved one is having a mental health crisis, 
the police is who shows up. They very rarely dispatch. In some cities, they're better than others, but they should be dispatching a mental health person alongside because we are uniquely trained to help people in crisis. And right now, even in our schools, we are utilizing police when we should have more counselors. And so I think that is really where the heart of the defunding yeah. is really we should be supporting more of our mental health and other education and those things. And we're just putting, you know, we use the police as, as Band-Aids and we know that it's they're not Band-Aids for many of our community. There's a lot of privilege in being able to call the police and feel right. like you're going to be safe right. um, that many of us are not afforded. Um, and so I think all of those things are coming to roost, the ways in which we've kind of slapped Band-Aids around racism and oppression and, and, and power and privilege, right, in this country. Um, and, and how painful must it be for Black people in this country to know that we are dying at higher, higher rates due to COVID and yet unable to stay in our houses, right, in the midst of, of um, such um, unimaginable loss. Um, and we would like for it to be, it's, it's not unimaginable because it has happened and it continues to happen, but it feels like it's another thing that we shouldn't have to endure in the right. midst of this pandemic. And yet here we are. And so and it made right. it that much more harder, I think, for people to stay silent because we didn't have much else to lose. Everything else that had kept us distracted was already taken away, right? And so mm. where else were you going to go? Um, and so again, I think that's some of the things that's just been showing up. Um, because COVID created the space for us to be present and to be still and not to be distracted with work and barbecues and all these other things that we normally use to cope with how we're treated in this country, right? Because we, I think for many times felt powerless um, and didn't have the space for us to collectively come together and be outraged and to make um, enough noise for people to have to pay attention. And so in some ways, um, we didn't realize that that COVID would bring about a revolution. And I think that that I'm, I'm an optimist, right? And so I think that that's what it's giving us room to do um, is we're not distracted. We're actually front and center right now. And I think we need to be for the foreseeable future. I want to close out this session, the uh, section and move directly into the, um, the last bit and talk a little bit more about the, the racism in America and that kind of trauma, although we've pretty much covered it. But before we go into that, I actually want to take a moment to acknowledge symbolic losses. So obviously, um, there are people out in the world who have lost people due to COVID-19. And obviously that's a traumatic loss. And I think for those people uh, who have only experienced symbolic losses, you feel like you don't deserve to grieve any of the losses that you've experienced that are symbolic. So I just want to take a moment, hopefully I worded that correctly. Okay, good. I, I want to make sure that I'm sensitive to the fact that people have lost their lives. Um, but I just want to take a moment to acknowledge those people. So if your child was graduating high school and you didn't get to attend their ceremony, it's okay for you to grieve that. And I'm getting so emotional thinking about it. If you, um, oh, why am I getting emotional? If you had a, don't touch her. Don't touch me, but help me get it out. If you had a, um, a significant birthday this year and you had plans to go on a trip and you didn't have an opportunity to celebrate in the way that you wanted to, it's okay to grieve that loss, that symbolic loss. Mm -hmm. um, 
if you were scheduled to graduate college and you went through medical school or whatever, four years, six years of hardship and blood, sweat, and tears to earn that diploma, and you didn't get an opportunity to walk across that stage, we acknowledge that symbolic loss. If you had a wedding, thank you, stage crew. Um, you were waiting year, for that sex. If, if Celibate. You, and you were like, man, I'm getting sex on June 18th. Thank you 18th. for, for <laughs> Pushing it back to June even 19th. And I can't <laughs> wait another day. I've been June 18th been the day. Yes. I can't imagine me and Melissa supposed to get married in 2004. That's like, oh man, you gotta wait a year. A year. <laughs> I've been on hard for six months. <laughs> I can't wait a year. I can't wait an hour. Don't push the wedding back a second. He made it light. I needed the levity. Um, but if you had a wedding, a, a wedding that you were planning and you don't get have an opportunity to walk down the aisle in your wedding dress. We acknowledge that symbolic loss. If you are a senior and you were looking forward to your Cinderella moment as prom, going to prom, Dang, and you as you're mentioning, don't, this is literally everything you could have. You don't get that and opportunity. Zoom doesn't make everything. No. Do it on Zoom. And want to do it on Zoom? Okay. I was supposed to go to England and watch a Manchester United thing for my birthday. That's what I hope Melissa was planning. I can't even go get English breakfast tea right now. Yeah. I can't. I bought a jersey. It ain't the same. You know yeah. what I was gonna do for her birthday? I can't tell you. But it was gonna blow her mind. Can't do it. Yeah. Um, uh, I wanna see you doing too much. Uh <laughs> And just, I mean, all of them, I'm not going to be able to hit on all of them, but one thing that people just mentioned, which I actually think is really important, if you are pregnant and COVID-19 is preventing your husband from entering the rooms with you due to safety concerns, we acknowledge that loss. If you had a birthing plan in place that was really important to you, and that's something you can no longer do due to COVID-19, we acknowledge that loss. If you are pregnant and you are fearful of bringing your child into this world that looks the way that it does, we acknowledge yes. that loss. If it your is wife was said, we can try butt stuff, and then she said, never mind, because COVID, we acknowledge that loss. <laughs> the point <laughs> that I want to make is that <laughs> the losses of 2020 even the symbolic losses of 2020. It is okay to feel sad about those losses. It is okay to grieve those symbolic losses. I, you guys know this, and part of the reason I wanted to do this, I had plans. Listen, I was going to move in a whole new house. Bruh. I was planning the conference that was, I felt like was the culmination of everything that I've been doing and working toward knowingly and unknowingly was working toward this conference. And I am not able to do it in the way that I want to do it. And you also feel bad for even saying that. Yes. Because it feels, it feels unfair because other people have actually lost life. Right. And in comparison you don't want, and people actually, on top of that, when you mentioned it, like, champagne problems, I wish my only problem was right. to move into the second house for y'all. Like, okay, like, I get that also, but I also cannot. Then you feel guilty for being sad. Right. On top of feeling guilty for, you know what I mean? Like, it feels like, yeah. and social media cannot be helping this, you know, uh, these feelings. You know what I mean? So, 
I just wanted mm-hmm. to definitely take that opportunity. Oh, go ahead, doctor. Yeah, I think it's important that regardless if it's a physical or symbolic loss, understand that your again, your body doesn't know, right? And so the grief response is the same, whether it's a physical symbolic loss, that it's important that we don't compare or evaluate or minimize the losses that we've each experienced or even our response to those losses. Um, because although grief is a universal experience, none of us are exempt, all of us experience it at some point, um, that it's still is. God dog it. It's doing so well. Dr. Robinson, if you can hear us, we cannot hear us. And that you get to. We got to run that back. Zoom was the devil was there. Girl, we couldn't hear nothing you said. After you said we all experienced loss, it was out. Yeah. If it's universal, but we still have our own own individual experiences, right? Um, unique individual experiences. We actually dishonor when we compare it to someone else's. And so your grief can sit right alongside their grief without having to evaluate or compare. Um, and so when someone says, you know, I always re- respond that, you know, I think we're both grieving in the ways that we need to. We've lost a different things, right? And that that's okay. It sucks for both of us, right? Um, I think grief amplifies. So um, it amplifies the gaps in relationships. It amplifies income instability. It amplifies family dynamics. It amplifies things that were already perhaps not what we desired. And in some cases, it amplifies the things that were already working for us. Um, and so it's in the, the area is that we may need to strengthen as for a new purpose around the things that we need to release. And so um, all of us do it differently. It's just important that you do. That was good. That was good. One more exhale. <laughs> Please I make feel sure. better and worse. I feel like I should have a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode, child, the people. I agree. This, this is might. one of the most timely uh, it is. episodes of the podcast. Because um, this this world kind of feels like Melissa and I grew up in military schools or military bases, and when we would move to a new base, I remember two things, and this, I hope this analogy makes sense. When I moved to one school, I have a dislocated shoulder. I just fell down the stairs a couple months ago and rebroke it, but it's always been broken. And one year, uh, I made all these friends because I used to do this trick where I would pop my shoulder out. And they'd be like, oh, gross. Oh, man. Arm boy, you're cool. Want to eat lunch with us? Right? I did that. Right? So I did this at one military base. And then we moved the next year. And I did. They're like, gross, man. What's wrong with you? Freaking weirdo. And I was like, but arm boy, last time it worked. Right? So now every time I went to a new school, I was like, okay, what is this school going to be like? What is it going to feel like? What am I going to make new friends? And that's kind of how I feel about this year. Like, I've given yeah. up. I'm, I'm working on giving up the thought. Melissa actually really helped me with this. Uh, I was talking about to my agent about, do I want to go back out and do comedy this this year? And if so, what does that look like? And right now, it's all capacity limits. Seventy, you know, twenty five percent capacity, fifty percent capacity. So I told Melissa, like, I don't know if I really want to even go out to do like comedy for at a capacity. Like, if I'm not gonna be selling out a three four hundred, then what's the point? And she said a sellout now might be 50%. Mm. 
You don't know mm-hmm. when it, it will be 100% again, if it will be. Mm-hmm. So if you decide whether you go out again or not, you shouldn't be deciding based on what it used to be. You should be deciding based on what it is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> oh, snap. Like, it really is not going to be what I thought or not going to be what I'm used to. And that's, that's yeah. just my stand-up comedy. Like, school for our kids might not look the same next year, might not look the same at that's all. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's what I feel on top of the current stuff. It's the, I don't want to say impending doom, but the uncertainty of yeah. what's coming uh, with the election, with the trial of the Minneapolis yeah. police officers. Like, heaven forbid they get off, this country might completely erupt for real. For real. Like, it, I don't even know when the trial begins, you know right. what I'm saying? But that's in the back of my head. Because the Trayvon Martin thing was bad when it happened, but it was even worse when Zimmerman got off. Yeah. That's the first time I remember it really yeah. hit me like, oh, people. And he wasn't even a police officer. He was just a regular yeah. dude, you know? So, and the last thing I want to say. I might close it after this. Yes. Okay. I'm going to tell you what else I'm grieving the loss of. And it's the thing that hurts the most. My son's innocence. Yeah. My youngest son. God dang it. Oh, don't. I, don't look at me, Josh. <laughs> Get off. <laughs> Everybody, get away from me. We've been having to talk to my son and both of my sons about this. And because my oldest son is older or I don't know, he's taking it in seemingly in stride. My youngest son, when we have to tell him stuff, he gets it right. He understands what we're saying, but he doesn't understand. It's not he doesn't understand because he's young. He's at a not, heart level. He at a heart care. level, you are taught you do good, good things happen. You do bad, bad things happen. And we're explaining to him that sometimes because you're black, bad things happen regardless of what you do. And in his mind, he cannot make that. Under, he's like, the police hurt you sometimes, even if you're doing what they say. Mm-hmm. You're not taught that. And it's almost like watching the innocence leave his yeah. body. Like you can almost see it leaving like you see uh okay okay well shoot that's what it is then like okay dang like every time we have to talk about racism in america and you know from the hoodie talk we had like we had to talk to our kids about sex a couple of times we got to talk to them about racism all the time like whether you have a baby or not you're probably not gonna die if you don't understand how the world sees you it can be fatal and the thing yes. is, you're literally talking to a child about you can't wear a hoodie and have a toy gun in the yard because you might die for real. Right. And he's like, man, what? For having a toy gun? You know what I'm saying? Like, and I feel guilty for having to talk to him about it. And it hurts to have to talk to him about it. But I realize if I don't talk to him about it, he might be a casualty of ignorance because he can't afford to not know you can't afford to not know these people might call the police on you they might run up on you like you got a gun and here's how you got to act even if you didn't do anything wrong to an 11 year old and we've been talking to them about that since they were eight seven and now it's just more prevalent and this kid just wants to watch videos on fortnite and play fortnite right you gotta explain to him why we're going to a protest in the middle of a pandemic my oldest is like, man, yeah. you're doing what? <laughs> Protest? Yeah. Bro, we have to. Safe? We have to. And I feel like that, I mean, we, bro, he, 
I cried the other night. <laughs> my oldest son held me and he wasn't crying. I know. He was so strong. Yeah. I was a mess. And yeah. he got a deep voice. I'm like, this is some freaky role reversal. <laughs> I went to his room later. He was like, hey, man, I almost, I almost cried too. I had to be there for you. I'm like, be there for me. I'm the man, but man, I cried in his arm like a baby. I was crying hard mm -hmm. because I don't want to do that, but I have no choice. I can't yeah. afford to not let them know how the world sees because you have to react in a split second. You got to mm -hmm. defuse the police potentially. You got to put them at ease, yeah. right? And that was the hardest thing and I think this is the reason, one of the reasons why you uh, reached out to, to her and then the other person, because that weighs on us, the parents as well. Like you want them to be silly and play games. You don't want them to, you know, think about Chuck E. Cheese, not police brutality. Mm -hmm. You don't know the amount it's of action that's going to be consumed because of this. I'm sorry. Karen. <laughs> Say one more time. I'm it's sorry. a different weight and wounding that we carry. Can you hear me? Weight and wounding that we carry. Yes. It's a wounding that we carry as people and as parents of black children. We don't have the luxury of delaying the conversation um, because you're right. It 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 is their life and their safety that we're talking about. But we have to grieve that. We have to grieve that. It's a heavy heavy burden to carry um, that we shouldn't have to, that our kids shouldn't have to endure. Um, and that is one essence of the race-based trauma we experience that is cumulative, that's intergenerational, um, that I really hope that, the thing that gives me hope is that those closures, right, are intergenerational, but the coping is as well. And so um, although your older son was, you know, showing up for you, that's great modeling. That's what your, you know, us therapists would say, it's great modeling for you to be able to show him that it's okay to not be okay, especially, if, um, and that he can be safe to not be okay at home, right? Because there are ways that even we can't keep them safe in this larger world, but the best that we can to make sure that they just come home every day. Um, and that's tough. That's, that's really heavy. And the thing is, you, you feel like as parents, your children's life should be easier. I didn't feel this race heaviness as a child like that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm sure it was happening, but because we didn't have cell phones and internet, it wasn't being broadcast. And now you're seeing how the media can portray narrative and all that stuff. But because of internet sharing and social media, a lot of times I'm seeing the video before the media or the police have created this narrative, right? So we were willfully ignorant of what was happening. I know this didn't just start happening, right? But we were kids. It was like, am I going to get bit by a dog? Right. What happens if I don't get home by seven? My kids are like, if I don't, if I have a hoodie on, I might get shot. And they're like, man, what? Yeah. You know what I mean? It just yeah. feels unfair. Of, it feels just unfair. Mm -hmm. And I did think, I told Melissa when I cried in front of them, it was like, I'm working on feeling my feelings and I also never saw my dad cry except like one time he broke and I that I realized that taught me that it's not okay to cry and my therapist said something that was so good she said if we're not doing the self-work on ourselves and our mm -hmm. shadow work then we're just passing on the trauma to our children 
right? Because if you're not showing yeah. them the right way, then you're showing them the way you did it, which you're now learning is wrong. And hopefully he'll be like, man, I feel like crying. Like my dad was crying. My, my son was crying. I mean, my brother was mm -hmm. crying. I think my mom was crying. Like, so if I feel like crying, there's nothing not manly about that, which I That's didn't right. feel like that. I always grew up. If you stop crying, cry, baby, be a man. And I used to want to cry all the time. Like, man, y'all going to, I'm going to get these tears off mm -hmm. when I get by myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but then eventually you do stop crying. Yeah. And I don't want them to, to go through that because we're realizing how dangerous this is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that um, some of the things that I think we can do to help us navigate this time um, is just to identify who our community is, right? What our individual needs are. Um, I think one of the, the best things that we can do for ourselves is to create good boundaries. I think we feel guilty about boundaries. Um, I always tell my clients that the people who have problems with your boundaries are the ones who benefit from you not having any. Um, and that's really mm. important in this time frame because we're home, people think we're accessible, but emotionally and physically and psychologically, we may not have the capacity to hold space for others because we're just trying to reset our cup. We're not even refilling it. We're just trying to reset it, right? To keep it from being completely empty. And so give yourself permission to do that, but also to name the thing, right? Name the thing, and it could be multiple, um, and we don't have to tackle all of them at, at once, right? Most of us are being able to. Um, I also want to kind of um, mention one thing, Melissa, you, you sent this in one of the questions. Um, I want, us to, I want to give us permission to not feel um, that we're not dishonoring this place that we're sitting in, right, in, in our world, because we find moments of joy, we find moments mm -hmm. of gratitude, that grief and joy and trauma, they have to sit right alongside one another. They do. Um, and it doesn't make what we lost any less impactful or important, it means that we are still human and we need the joy so that we don't lose ourselves in the loss. There's so many things and the people in our life remind of us of the good that still exists, the calm and the peace and the hope. Um, and so it's okay to still feel gratitude, to still feel joy. Some of us are thriving in the midst of this pandemic, maybe not as a race or um, we, we still are feeling wounded in that way, but our businesses are thriving. Um, and that's okay too. That's okay too. That was really good. I actually forgot I asked that question. Um, but part of the reason why is because I was talking about um, being grateful that you know, I'm, I'm able to be in the house that I'm in, even though it wasn't the one, but trying to reconcile the idea of gratefulness with this true sense of like loss, I was, I was struggling with. And so hearing you say and giving us the uh, permission for those two things to coexist is really freeing. And it, it allows something that it's so complex feelings. <laughs> They're so complex yeah. and like layered. Yeah. And so you kind of feel like it has to be all or nothing. Yep. And it's, it's okay for things to just kind of from one minute to the next, everything is just fluid and, and that's okay. That's why I like inside out. Yes. All of our feelings are just, they're, they're, they're different color. They're balls. just all there. They're that's not right. Happy. They're, they're all not there. Pure happiness, yeah. pure joy, pure sadness. There's a little joy in sadness, there's a little sadness in joy. That's right. All right, enough of this. I can't. I, I'm, I'm done with you, Dr. Robinson. And I mean that in the most respectful, you're very helpful way. I've had it. I've had it. With that said, I feel like, again, this week's episode was... Oh, it was so necessary. So necessary. 
so necessary. So necessary. It, it's heavy, but next week will be um, a lot lighter. The guests will be talking about full body orgasm. I'm sorry, full body uh, uh, oral sex, full body oral sex. And what that means is that you should be receiving and getting oral sex as a full body experience. And if you have never orgasm while performing oral sex, you are doing it wrong. That is a, that is something I have not, okay. I have not put that Nobody has said that. No, like that's that. her tagline. So um, we'll be back to uh, a lighter topic. Which, I thought she was talking about sucking knees. Like, yeah, suck my knee. No. Yeah. Woo, um, knee sucking. Which I back know my we, knee now. Yeah, which yeah. I know we need. But I also felt like we needed this healing that's taking place right now. But the fact of the matter is our sex lives are being affected by this trauma as well, one the, way or another. You, last thing I want to say, Dr. Robinson, the doggone COVID has literally changed everything like mm -hmm. in marriage in school in joy in like and that's most people i don't think are prepared like when we had when melissa got pregnant we knew our lives were changed but we have seen what that looks like because our friends have sure. babies we were you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. like this is a thing that we hadn't seen i think that's a a realization i needed is like this was a thing that we were not prepared for. Mm -hmm. And it took us a minute to even understand what was happening. And then we, we didn't grow up in therapy. So we don't know, like we're learning all this in real time, I think is the best way of putting it. But I don't want mm -hmm. you to go down this path again. So I don't want to give you no openings for you to get into my life again. <laughs> my feelings is closed. So Full body orgasms next week on Laura. <laughs> Love how you should be sucking and coming at the same time. I don't know which one's supposed to happen first, but find out next week butt stuff so what we're going to do is close out this episode to let you guys know that we have made the pivot and the love hour conference is coming to you uh on a digital platform we need to shoot that today okay but you interrupted my sorry thing. we forgot last time the love hour conference is coming to you on a digital platform it will take place july 10th and 11th for all of the speakers that were previously on the on the lineup will be uh, speaking to you as well. I'm really excited uh, that they agreed. And the topics, again, will cover everything from singles to married life. You can pick your track, sign up for your sessions. It's going to be an amazing time. Sign up is open right now at thelovehour.com for only $30. $30. That's it. You get replay ability and all of the things. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, I know that you guys enjoyed this episode today. Please, if you would, go and follow Dr. Ajeta Robinson on social media. Can you please give us your, I think it's just your name, but you can give them your um, Instagram. Absolutely. On Instagram, I'm Dr. Period Ajeta Robinson. On Facebook, I'm Dr. Ajeta um, on all of the other channels. Perfect. Uh, thank you so much dr robinson for being here with us today uh i am emotionally full and like emotionally exhausted all at the same time and i'm not going to try to figure that no, out but that is i feel like she has given me the tools and then therefore i have like taken the deepest breath in <laughs> and the deepest breath out yeah so thank yeah. you so much for just the wealth and richness of the information that you have laid on us in this hour plus or so. Please make sure that you guys follow her. Uh, last thing is Dr. Robinson does have a book coming out, right? I do. I do have a book coming out. It's called The Gift of Grief. And so helping navigate um, everyday losses. So if you're in my book club, she will be uh, coming to speak 
to our live to the hive here soon we'll i'll put out the announcement once we figure out the details of that but like i said in the meantime please go and follow her i think that's it for now thank you guys so much for joining us on today's love hour episode we'll see you on the next one bye bye